welcome to the 10th episode of One Christian Thinks, a podcast that examines current events, politics, worldview, and ideologies from an explicitly Christian perspective. I'm your host, Mike Hutton. If this is your first time listening, I ask that you press pause and listen to the first episode, where I introduce the show, my motivations, and give some guiding principles. I know I always repeat that line every episode, but I do it for good reason. I've received some critical feedback in the past from people who I think seem to misunderstand the point of the podcast. The point of the podcast is to critically think about what's going on. I'm not trying to tell people what to think, but I'm trying to provoke a conversation. You might disagree with what I say. That's great. Let me know. But also carry the conversation outward as well. Because given our rapidly changing cultural and political climate, these are conversations we need to have. With that said, let's get started on today's episode, where we will carry on our discussion regarding freedom. Last episode, I discussed how adherence to God's law brings a sense of freedom in this world. To refresh your mind, my argument was that, first, God's character can be seen in his law, specifically the Ten Commandments. God's character can also be seen in his creation work. Therefore, we should be able to see the Ten Commandments in the creation story. And since God created man to be free, the Ten Commandments and freedom should be inextricably linked. Of course, this doesn't take away from the spiritual purposes of the law, but what it does show is that the spiritual and physical realm are very closely connected. The Ten Commandments operate in both the spiritual and the physical realm. The law primarily makes us aware of our sins, points us to Christ, and gives us a guideline for holy living, but secondarily, it also acts as a guideline for attaining freedom in this world. Because of this, God's law is not just for Christians, but also for non-Christians. There are consequences to ignoring God's law because it is built into creation. I received some great feedback on that episode that, that has pushed me to further thought, which I totally appreciate. I won't get into the feedback now, Perhaps I'll do a feedback episode at the end of the series. For this episode, we'll carry on in our discussion of freedom. I want to first kind of examine the context in which we live in. We live at a time where our freedoms in the Western world are, especially in Canada actually, are being quite quickly curtailed. And I'm not just talking about COVID restrictions. Just a few years ago, the Trudeau Liberals created legislation that made it mandatory to refer to a transgender individual by their preferred pronouns. This is not only taking away freedom of speech, it is in fact compelling speech. And then more recently, Trudeau in one of his speeches said that freedom of speech should be necessarily limited to speech that does not offend anyone. Of course, This is done for the good of everyone involved, apparently, just like any restriction of freedom. But as Christians, an idea like this should cause us to pause for a second and think. Truth, the gospel, 
is offensive to those who don't want to hear it. Could this type of restriction on freedom of speech also mean that we might not be able to preach the gospel freely anymore? If speech can't be offensive, then truthfully, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, where freedom of speech is enshrined for all Canadians, becomes a farce. It becomes a joke. With this context, I want to consider the question, should we care? Given that we, as Christians, have spiritual freedom in Christ, should we care about physical freedom in this world? In this discussion, I want to define physical freedom simply as the opposite of tyranny. Freedom from tyrannical governments, or overbearing bosses, or even heavy-handed spouses. So a practical question that we might be seeking to answer is this. Should Christians protest or fight against what they consider to be an overreaching government? This is a very valid question. You see, the Bible does not explicitly talk about freedom in this world. Instead, the Bible focuses on spiritual freedom, the freedom we have in Christ. I did a fairly exhaustive study on words like free, freedom, and liberty throughout the Bible, and nearly every single one, especially those in the New Testament, referred to our spiritual freedom. For example, in the book of Romans, as Paul builds what is essentially a systematic theology of the gospel, freedom is a theme that runs through chapters 6 to 8. You have chapter 6 verse 7, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 6 verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 6 verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Romans 8 verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And 8 verse 21, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then we can also flip to Galatians, particularly chapter 5, and right in verse 1, Galatians 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then in 5 verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so we see, in perhaps the most comprehensive discussions of freedom in the Bible, those in Romans and Galatians 5, the freedom discussed refers primarily to freedom from sin, spiritual freedom. But no. Freedom, even in that sense, does not mean we can do whatever we want. No, as we discussed last episode, freedom needs to have a guiding principle. When we are freed from sin, we become slaves to righteousness and slaves to God. Again, as we discussed last episode, our life of service to God is rightly guided by God's law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. Now, some of you might ask, well, Spiritual freedom ends in slavery to God? That doesn't sound like freedom at all. I understand the question. However, the reality is, as finite man, we will always have an authority over us. 
that is part of what separates us from God or, or the gods, if you will. We will always be subject to an authority. One of my listeners reminded me of this in some feedback, and I appreciate the point. As human beings, we will always be subject to some authority. We are not God. And you can see that too in the culture around us. Much of modern society has attempted to deny God, to reject God, and place themselves in God's place. They deny a moral code and insist on having the ability to do whatever they want, to live their lives in the manner that they see fit. They demand to be free. But have they been able to remove themselves from having an authority? Of course not. The authority might not be God, an all-powerful, all-controlling being that gives us moral decrees, but instead, it's science, an all-powerful, all-controlling force through which we can even learn morality. Just ask Sam Harris. The authority might not be God, a supreme ruler who cares for his subjects and provides everything they need. Instead, the authority is government, who many treat as a supreme ruler who cares for their subjects and can provide anything they need. In fact, I would take it one step further. Not only have we, as humans, been unable to remove ourselves from under every authority, in fact, we need an authority. And so, in the absence of God, we make something else into a God. Because we need authority, we need guidance, we need principles by which to live. When put in those terms, the question then becomes, which authority would you like to be slaves to? Would you serve the God who created heaven and earth, who desires a personal relationship with his people, who forgave his people for their sins against him by taking those sins upon himself, and then who gives his people everything they need? Or perhaps you would put your faith in science, a totally impersonal idea that, while it can be helpful for many things, completely fails to give us any sort of meaning or morality in this life. Or maybe you want to put your trust in the government. They will give you everything you need. They will care for you, protect you, and give you rules to live by. Only to have that ideal come crashing down as well, the way it has so often in recent history. More on that later. But back to the original question. Given that the Bible talks so much about spiritual freedom, the freedom we have in Christ, freedom from sin, shouldn't that be our focus? And shouldn't we be unconcerned with our physical freedom? After all, the freedom we have in Christ cannot be taken away. Flip back to Romans 8 the culmination of Paul's discussion on freedom. Verse 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so forget your physical freedom. That's unimportant. As Christians, we should be focused on our spiritual freedom and spreading that message, the message of the gospel. And then, as it says in Romans 13, 
were to submit to the governing authorities. Seems pretty clear to me, right? Picture a caricature of a modern American right-winger, perhaps even a Trump voter. Bible in one hand, gun in the other. If you would just focus on the book you have in your one hand, you'd find out you could put down the weapon you have in the other, right? Now, I only use that specific illustration because it's something that I heard from someone else the other day, almost in those words. Maybe forget that I mentioned a gun. That's pretty polarizing and, and it might take away from my current point. We'll save that discussion for another day. The question still stands. Do we as Christians focus only on spiritual freedom to the exclusion of any concern for our physical freedom? This might be tempting to answer in the affirmative, as Christians living in perhaps the freest countries in the world. So, let me give some real-world perspective. According to the International Justice Ministry, a Christian organization fighting real-world slavery today, whether that's forced labor or sex trafficking, according to their numbers, there are more than 40 million people in slavery today. That's more than the population of Canada, which sits around 38 million right now. It's an industry that generates $150 billion annually. That's billion with a B. And one in four victims of forced labor is a child. And then there's the organization called The Exodus Road. Again, a Christian organization that actually uses volunteer undercover operatives to rescue human trafficking victims. In the life of the organization, at the time of this recording, they've rescued 1,431 people from human trafficking and have worked with local authorities to arrest 749 people. I'll leave the links for both of these organizations in the show notes if you wish to read stories about their work, support them, or get involved in another manner. Or rewind several hundred years to the late 1700s, early 1800s, to the time when the slave trade was in full swing. Perhaps some 12 million Africans were stolen from their homeland and brought to a foreign world to be bought and sold, treated as mere commodities. Interestingly, less than 400,000 of those 12 million landed in the United States, somewhere around 3%. The rest went elsewhere, mostly to South America. But it was Christians, like William Wilberforce and John Newton, who campaigned at the government level to stop the slave trade. The pamphlet that John Newton wrote, called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, can be read online, and I'll leave a link for it in the show notes. So, given that perspective, and the atrocities that the denial of physical freedom brings... Are we still so sure that we should only be worried about spiritual freedom? To make a biblical case, though, I want to make a few points that I hope we can all agree on. First, all people are made in the image of God. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This simple fact means that it would, it would be unjust for anyone to raise him or herself up in status above another. 
While the Bible does support certain types of authority, that authority is always given strict bounds. If the authority goes beyond those biblical bounds, they have both violated biblical ordinances, but also failed to respect others as made in the image of God. Taking the slave trade as an example, whether modern or ancient, there's simply no way you can buy and sell people as a commodity and still maintain that they're made in the image of God. Any form of slave trade denies God's creative act of making man. Second, our inner spiritual reality is rightfully supposed to extend into our outer physical world. A classic biblical support for this is in Matthew 5. If you have a light, what do you do with it? Do you hide it under a basket? Of course not. You let it shine. So, our inner light is supposed to shine to those around us. Same with joy. We are to be joyful in all circumstances. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5. Not because every circumstance in this life will be happy, will bring us joy, but because we have the joy of the gospel inside of us. And so with freedom. Through Christ, we can begin to know true spiritual freedom in this life. And that rightfully should extend to the physical world around us. Third, to support this even further, John Newton, at the top of his pamphlet against the slave trade, quoted Matthew 7 verse 12, the golden rule. It says there, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Given his history as a slave trader, John Newton was well acquainted with its horrors. It was his Christian faith that later convicted him that the slave trade was wrong and gave him the rationale to fight against it. So, given Matthew 7 verse 12, if you were being treated as a commodity, bought and sold like a common good, what would you want someone else to do? All things considered, whenever there is an overreaching authority, whether that's at the familial level, in the workplace, or in civil government, the people who are most victimized are the vulnerable, the ones who have the most to lose. In the Bible, these were commonly the orphans and widows, the beggars. Today, vulnerable people could be seen at the level of the individual, single people who have fallen on hard times and are further victimized by overbearing authority, whether that's um, in, in human trafficking or some other situation. But whole societies as well, whole nations could also be made vulnerable, particularly by totalitarian governments. Combining the totalitarianism of communist Russia, communist China, and socialist Germany in World War II, some estimates say over 100 million people were killed, all in an attempt to usher in an earthly utopia. It's no wonder that people are concerned about government overreach. Look at how far it has gone, all in the last 100 years or so. So yes, as Christians, we do have a role to fight for freedom and against tyranny. But what does that look like? Well, as I've said previously, because we are human, we seem to have an innate desire to have an authority over us. And 
if people decide to reject God as the authority, they will always end up putting themselves under some other, more oppressive authority. While there is a case to be made for lobbying the government, perhaps resisting an overbearing authority, protesting, and perhaps even using physical force to maintain your freedom, that will all fall short if society does not want to be free. You can't force people to be free if they desire to be enslaved. And when people reject God and turn to another authority, that is exactly what they're doing. They're also rejecting freedom and enslaving themselves to something else. Historically, real, lasting freedom has only come about with the proper preaching of the gospel, starting with John Wycliffe in the 1300s. It's when people turn to the gospel that we also see a rise in physical freedom. So, interestingly, we see that the proper preaching of the gospel not only brings about spiritual freedom for the individual, it also tends to bring about physical freedom in this world as well. This should fill us with hope. The gospel has the answers we need. It even has the answers to tyrannical governments. While in the West, many people are worried about creeping government overreach, always for our own good, of course, part of that creeping government overreach is because people have rejected God and are allowing, no, they actually desire another authority in his place. Meanwhile, it's under tyrannies, like in China, that the gospel is flourishing. We don't know the future. I'm not really one to speculate. But imagine this. If Christianity becomes a dominant force in Chinese culture, the current communist government would crumble in front of it. And then think of the international force for good that would arise out of that. Of course, that, that's a little bit of speculation. But this is an idea that should rightfully fill us with hope. We know, we are assured that the gospel will win. So this episode ties in very well with my plans for January. I plan to continue on with my series on freedom, with the next episode discussing the question, why are there some people that seem opposed to freedom, like they don't want to be free? We touched on it in this episode, but I want to dig a little deeper into that question. But also in January, as I said at the end of last episode as well, I plan to record myself reading the book, The Story of Liberty. This is a book written in the 1800s that combines church history and European history into one story. It's not written like a history book, but like a storybook, so it captivates your attention and brings to life the people and events that you may have learned about in school. I'm not a history buff at all, but this book really opened my eyes to what happened in those times, and it really made it interesting. I think it's a great resource. It's not only an interesting story to read, but will hopefully also help put historical events in context, from John Wycliffe to Martin Luther to Christopher Columbus and on. There's 31 chapters in the book, so I'm hoping to release a chapter every day in January, which will help to understand the path to freedom 
which then directly relates to what we're talking about anyways. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, whether you agreed with it or not, I ask you to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever podcast service you use. I would really appreciate it if you could share it with other people who might be interested. Not necessarily people who would agree, but people who would be interested in having a conversation. As always, feel free to comment on and share the Facebook page or send me an email at OCT at allmail.net. That's OCT, which stands for One Christian Thinks, at A-L-L-M-A-I-L dot net. Until next time, keep thinking.